Normally the, normally the lights are off so I can just wander up here and surprise. That scared me, by the way. Uh, hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, my name is Nate Parrish, and uh, I'm the creative director here. Is that my mom? Are you here? <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Uh, yeah, I get to uh, serve as a creative director here, and, and sometimes, uh, like Vance, they let me out of my cage, and uh, I say stuff. So um, I'm honored to be here, closing out the 11th chapter of Hebrews. It's been a cool series. It's been about two months uh, in Hebrews 11. And fun fact, chapter 11 says the word faith 26 times, which is 5% of its total occurrences in the Bible. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? So by now, it's pretty clear uh, what the theme of Hebrews 11 is. What do you think it is? Faith. Faith. Ah, you guys are so smart. I love it. So today, we're going to talk about heroic faith. Can I tell you guys a cute story? Yes. If you've seen me preach, you know I'm going to talk about my son. He's my favorite thing. So right now, we're... um, working on teaching Bishop like colors and like counting numbers and things like that. So this morning, actually, he saw his shadow and he goes, two bubbies. Like, Dude, he's a genius. <laughs> and so I've been teaching him colors. So, so I'll point to a color. What's that? And he doesn't say like green. He says Hulk. <laughs> so if there's something green, I'll say, hey, Bubby, what color is that? He goes, Hulk. And then I point to something blue, say, what's that? And he goes, dumb man, which is Superman. Uh, it's really awesome. I'm like, this is how you do, this, we need to write a book on parenting because we're killing it right now. And so he loves superheroes. That is 100% my doing. And I love him. He's the best. So that's a fun story about colors for you guys. Uh, let's jump into this section of scripture. We'll read through this. We're going to be in Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 32 through 40. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And this is where it gets dark. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. I pray that you would speak through me this morning, and I pray that you would encourage the people in this room and the people watching online. Amen. Okay, so right off the bat, when I read that section of Scripture, I kind of like the first half better. Um, just, 
off the top of the head. Uh, I like the part where they're doing heroic things. Um, there's some really heroic scenarios here. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's people who are conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the power of fire, escaping the edge of the sword, becoming mighty in war, and resurrecting dead loved ones. I like that stuff, and there's a part of me that's like, I want to do that too. Anyone else read that? And you're like, I want to do that. I want to punch a lion right in the face. I'll do it. I think we all have something inside of us that desires greatness. Uh, Being a part of something bigger than us. Being remembered. I think we all want to have heroic faith. For example, uh, Marvel movies. How many of you guys have seen a Marvel movie? Probably every person on earth. Okay. So uh, it's known as the MCU, uh, for for those of you who don't know. (laughs) It's released 28 movies. 28 movies. And it has grossed over $25 billion. They're doing it right, okay? They have really tapped into something that we identify with. And I think it's that we, deep inside, want to be the hero, right? I, I know that I do. I, I really do. I tell Rachel all the time, if, if you and Bubby weren't around, straight up, I'd sell everything I own, I'd find a basement to live in, and I'd fight crime. I haven't decided on a superhero name yet. But that's just, I'm like, well, I don't have a family. I'm going to just go fight crime, whatever. I'd probably last about 24 hours, um, and and it would be great. I think we all have that inside of us. Um, Actually, so I have a few pictures here of some real-life superheroes. These are people that are actually being superheroes right now in our world. And we said the first one here. So that... If you can read that, that that's Iron Man. Uh, so it's just a guy, a billionaire, obviously, who made himself a suit out of uh, what appears to be high-quality tape <laughs> and some, some, card, uh, some paper, I think, and spray paint. The guy's out there fighting crime, making the streets safe for you and me. You're welcome. Let's get the section. We have another picture, actually. This is my son's favorite. That's the Incredible Hulk. You guys... It, this is amazing. Look at those muscles. Uh, quads are just bulging. Six pack. His hands are really, his head is so small. <laughs> Out there fighting crime, protecting us all. We thank you, Hulk. Let's get, uh, we have one more picture, I think. <laughs> How did that get in there? <laughs> you know, now that I look at this picture, that guy looks pretty cool. Huh. I think that guy has an actual future as a superhero. I don't, know how, I don't know how that got in there or who that is, but if anyone's watching this online and you're part of the Marvel Studios, I'll contact this person. He's ready to go. We want to have heroic faith, but probably not, of a, a, lot, not a lot of us are saying, yeah, I want to have heroic faith. I hope I get sawed in two. That's not, that's not my choice. That's, that's, that's towards the bottom of the list for me. Uh, I want to have heroic faith. You know what would be great? I'd like to wonder about destitute wearing a dead goat. I call myself goat man. That's what, that's what I want for my life. I want to have that heroic faith. And yet when we read these verses, we see two groups mentioned. 
The first are men and, men and women who do great things. They show heroic faith in, it in the same scripture. There's no transition. There's no differentiation. We see a group of people who suffer. They're imprisoned. They're tortured and they're killed. It's just all right there, all together. So what do we do with that? What does Hebrews 11, 32 through 40 tell us about what it means to actually have heroic faith? So there's three things we're going to cover today. Number one, heroic faith requires trust. Heroic faith requires trust. Number two, heroic faith results in action. Results in action. Number three, heroic faith relies on eternal perspective. Got to have an eternal perspective. Number one, heroic faith requires trust. When we think about faith, uh, what comes to my mind first is leap of faith. You guys heard that before? He took a leap of faith. Uh, jumping off of a cliff. So, so how many of you are in this room and you're the person when someone's like, let's jump off that cliff and you're like, yeah. And you jump into the water and you just, you just do it. So like, oh, there's one. Okay, I knew, dude, I knew, I knew you would. Not a lot of us. I'm, I'm the guy, I've jumped, I've jumped off a cliff like once into water. So it tells you how much I loved it. And I was the guy who was like, all right, guys, yeah, let's do it. Nate's going to jump. Count to three. One, two, three. Let's do it again. Count to five. One, two, three, four, five. All right, give me, yeah, give me a second. And just, I'm up there forever until finally I just go, ah, I just fall into the water. And that's my leap of faith. I wouldn't consider myself a daredevil or that person that's just in a hurry to, to, to take leaps of faith. But if I look at my everyday life, and really when I'm saying faith, it just means trust. So when I look at my everyday life, and probably when you look at your life, you put your trust in things a lot more than you realize. For example, a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go play some rock and roll shows um, on the East Coast, and it was really fun, but I had to get on an airplane to do it. I don't like flying. I fly a lot. I actually don't like flying. If you're over 5'2", flying is the worst. Uh, follow me on social media and you'll see what it looks like when I try to use the airplane bathroom. It's insane. It's, th it's this. I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm like this in the bathroom. It's the worst. Uh, and when people come on the plane, I give them dirty looks because I don't want them to sit by me. I'm sorry. I'm just not friendly. I'm not like this. I'm like... What, dude, I'll eat your snacks if you sit by me. But I fly a lot. When I get on the plane, I have never asked the pilot to see his credentials. Not once. I don't even know the pilot's name. They probably said it at some point. I wasn't paying attention. I don't know the pilot. I don't know his credentials. And yet, I let, I, I let them go through my stuff. I take my shoes off. I go, I sit in a microscopic seat, and I let them put me in an aluminum tube. They fly me at 500 miles an hour at 35,000 feet in the air. I let them do that to me all the time. And for safety, they said, don't worry, you're safe. Put on this seatbelt. You'll be good. We do that. No problem, right? We, we, we all fly. We, uh, we get in cars. How many of you drove here? So you got in your car, you turned the ignition, and you had trust that it wasn't just going to explode. I've seen a lot of movies, that happens. 
You're sitting in a pew right now and I bet you sat down and didn't think twice about what if it falls over? What if it breaks? I've, I've broken a few chairs in my time. You just do it. You have faith. You eat a Taco Bell. <laughs> Incredible amount of faith and trust it takes to go to Taco Bell more than once. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You say, this, is, this time it's not going to happen. This time I'm going to be good, and you're not going to be, you're not going to be good. But we do it all the time. We're people of great faith. We all have faith. It's not a question. We have faith. We have trust. The question is not if we have faith. The question is what is our faith invested in? Because it is invested in something, whether you realize it or not. So for us, if you're a believer in this place, watching online, if you're a believer, where does our faith come from? Because contrary to what many think, it's not blind. Hebrews actually covers this, and it does so in two ways. The first way is that trust in God through creation. We can trust God in creation through our senses, what we observe, our physical world. If you turn to Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Now faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Creation, what we observe. I want to give you a few quick examples of God's design in nature. I don't want to do too much because I actually really love this stuff. I preached on it in youth a couple months ago, and I, I bored them to death with all the science stuff. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a couple. So how can we put trust in God through what we see in creation? The first one is the placement of the earth. You ever thought about that, where the, where the earth is placed? Earth is in what is referred to as the sun's Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone. This means the distance of earth from the sun makes it to where it's not too hot, unless you're in Bakersfield, and it's not too cold. This allows earth to have liquid water because of our exact placement distance from the sun. If that were to change by just a little bit, we freeze or we burn, or it's a Thursday in Bakersfield or whatever it is. That's pretty cool. That seems pretty intentional and by design, right? It does to me. The second thing is uh, the second law of thermodynamics. You guys familiar? You've probably heard this before. Second law of thermodynamics. What does this mean? This says that the universe is running out of usable energy. It's like the unwinding of a clock. So if a clock is slowing down and it's unwinding, what does that infer? The clock had to be wound up, right? It had to ha have be wound up and started. So it goes, and it starts to lose energy, and it unwinds over time. This basically says that existence had a starting point, meaning something that, ex that existed outside of time, space, and reality had to create time, space, and reality. Because if time and space reality already existed, that thing could not create something out of nothing. Ugh, does that make sense? Yeah. So if the universe was eternal, we would have already run out of energy because the second law of thermodynamics states we are running out of energy. We're slowing down. 
The third one is the universe is expanding. In 1929, astronomer Edward Hubble observed that the galaxies in the universe are moving away from each other. The ultimate extrapolation from this idea is that all matter in the universe originated from a single point. So if they can observe that things are moving away from each other and have been for some time, rewind that back, what does that mean? Started at a single point. All together, boom, we're expanding and moving away from each other. It's pretty cool. I like that science-y type stuff. God has shown us in creation that he exists. This means that every complex design has a designer. The universe has a highly complex design. Therefore, the universe has a what? Designer. Exactly. Okay, it says this in Romans 1, 18 through 21. Romans 1, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Okay? So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The proof is there. Sometimes you just ignore it. We suppress it. We don't want to see it. So God has shown himself to be trustworthy from the creation of the universe in existence. Number two, we have proof in experience. Proof in experience. So this is what God has done in our lives. If we look at the stories in Hebrews 11, it talks about Samson. Samson had seen God empower him early in his life and time and time again after that. He had the spirit of God come upon him at one point and he killed a lion with his bare hands. That's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not, I don't like killing animals, but tearing apart a lion with your bare hands, that might be kind of cool. And in the end, even though he had disobeyed God, he called in him one more time and was strengthened and defeated his enemies, sacrificing himself in the process. So Samson had these experiences with God, real life experiences, showing God's faithfulness. So later on down the line, you know, we know the story with Samson. He knows, okay, God's faithful. He's done this for me before. Let me ask him one more time. I cut my hair. You know, I'm chained up. My eyes are gouged out. He calls on God. Sure enough, God empowers him. Brings down the pillars. Mission accomplished. What about David? David had killed a giant when he was just a little guy. So having that, imagine yourself, if you were to defeat a giant, it'd give you quite a bit of confidence in God, right? We, we gloss over that story like, oh yeah, he, he killed you know, Goliath with stones. And he like slingshot. Have you ever done that before? Not the giant part, but like the slingshot? It's super hard. It's very hard. I have yet to hit one clay pigeon with a, with a gun. It's never happened. So <laughs> that, I imagine myself being like, I got this, pick up a rock, shoo, right, in the eye, right between the eyes and puts him out. Dad, God did that. 
It's not because David was just like, he was skilled, but no, no, that, that was God. For uh, myself, I don't have that experience, but if I were to look back on my life and even the fact how I got to like this, what I'm doing right now, would not have chosen this slash even imagined this. When we were invited the opportunity to come to Bakersfield, I said no without even looking at the email. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, we got the email, oh, there's a church in Bakersfield that wants to do an interview. And I said, nope. And I kept doing the dishes because I don't want to go to Bakersfield. When you go to Bakersfield and you're from somewhere else, what's the first, people find out where you're from and they, and they always, for me, they always ask, oh, well, how, how'd you get there? As if it's like some, I don't know. I love Bakersfield. You guys are great. Oh, guys. I could do without the heat, but whatever. I would not have picked this. I would have not have orchestrated this. I couldn't. I couldn't do it at all. I actually said no. And then God's like, all right, dude, have the interview. Here I am. Here we are. I've been here for six years. I can look back on that and my experience trusting God, even when it's something that I, in my flesh, was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. God was like, well, just do an interview. Okay? So I did it. Here I am. You all have those experiences with God. You can look back on and say, man, yeah, you know what? If I look back, God has been faithful. It's easy to forget, you know? It's easy to hold, hold on to a lot of the negative stuff. But like in our lives, it, God has orchestrated things. I think we can all say that. So point number one, heroic faith requires trust. Two ways that we see that play out is in what we observe through our senses, creation, the universe, science, etc., and what we experience personally with God. We have trust. If, our trust. if we have our trust in God, then this is trust applied and it results in action. Number two, heroic faith results in action. So first, I want to make a distinction. Uh, what I'm referring to is, is it's not the faith that has given us to salvation. I'm not saying you have to do a bunch of stuff to be saved. I'm not saying that at all. That's actually the opposite. You can't. There's nothing you can do that God's going to be like, well, cool, you filled your quota. Welcome to eternal life. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. But the works that a believer does come out of their salvation. Make sense? If we have faith, we act. Now I'm going to give you some bad news here. You ready? You are not David. Okay. Even if your name is David. Some of you actually are David, <laughs> but, but you're not. You change your name. You're not David. Don't read this story and go pick a fight with a tall person. I want that on film. Do you get that? Don't go picking fights with tall people. We need to stop using these stories as metaphors for our own life. I, I'm so tired of, of hearing, you know, I'm just, I'm like David, dude. And uh, my finances are my Goliath. And I'm going to take them down. Like, no, dude, you're missing the whole, no, you're missing the whole point. You're not David. Your finances are not Goliath. That was an actual thing that happened where a kid killed a giant. That's not you. The point is not that we can be the hero. The point is that Jesus is faithful and he is the hero. A hundred percent of the time. Because even when we step out in faith and do something, that was God. Okay. So we're not David. Sorry to break it to you. I'm not David. I'm not even Samson, even though I have the hair. 
It's not real. This is not a metaphor of my life. This is an example of God's faithfulness. We do have things in common with these heroes, though. What we have in common is we're not perfect. These heroes of faith that we look up to in Scripture were unlikely, overlooked, messed up people. For example, Gideon. Gideon was outnumbered. He had an army of 32,000 men. All right, here we go. We're still, you know... We're still outnumbered, but we're going to go get it. And God's like, uh, it's too much. That's too many men. He whittles down Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. They go up against 120,000 Midianites. The reason this happened was not so you could say Gideon was such a good soldier. This happened so there would be no mistake that the victory was only possible because it was God. That's why. Samson. Vain, spent too much time brushing his hair, foolish. And yet, at the end of the day, one last time, he calls on God, defeats his enemies, and it's only because God shows up. Jephthah, Jephthah was a son of an unnamed prostitute. A lot of times we think that our background disqualifies us. It doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, you'll see a pattern of God using people like this quite often. Where you came from does not qualify you. David. David was actually overlooked. He was a forgotten son, and there was that little murder thing that he did. David sinned. We've all sinned, right? But, just like with David, with Jesus, there is redemption. God can use imperfect people like them and like us to do great things. That is absolutely true. He can use us to do great supernatural things. I'm not saying he can't. He does all the time. But the question that I wrestle with while reading this is what do you do with the second half of the scripture? What happens when our life looks more like that second group? Uh, What happens when our life doesn't feel so heroic What about those names that aren't mentioned? Because it mentions names at the beginning, and then when it gets to the suffering, there's no more names mentioned. What about those who suffer in their faith? What does that mean for them? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, go on a missions trip to Nicaragua. Pastor Steve, you ever been there? No. Beacha. So... (laughs) I went to Nicaragua, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not for me. It's not for me. Missions, it's not for me. Uh, I, they laughed at me so much because I was so paranoid about malaria. I was wearing, like, long, long pants and, like, long sleeves and, like, a big old hat and stuff. And they're like, what are you doing? We're playing soccer. I was like, I'm good. You know, I'm just dying. It's so hot and no air conditioning. So we, had, we did a bunch of different things there, and one of the things we did was we went to an orphanage. And our job was to, we just fed the kids and then we played with them, mostly soccer, which I'm super not good at. And when we went there, um, you know, I learned a little bit of Spanish to go over there so I could communicate the basic level. But the kids would, they kept pointing at me and like saying stuff. And I was like, what the, what are they saying? And they're like, oh, they think you're a wrestler. They think you're a WWE wrestler. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm tall, but, but they're 
short. Like, they're short. So because of my size, they're like, this is an American wrestler. And they're taking pictures with me and stuff. And I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> body slamming kids and stuff. And we went to the orphanage and I knew some Spanish. And so this one little girl was pointing at me and she was pointing at my arms, you know, my tattoos. And she's like, Diablo, Diablo. Like, what? Okay. Uh, Diablo. She there, and she was saying more stuff, and they said, "Oh, she she thinks that um, she thinks that you're uh, of the devil because of your tattoos." <laughs> this little girl. I was like, "Well, guess who's not getting lunch today, little girl?" <laughs> just kidding. That's horrible. It's a literal orphanage. So I just had to be like, "Yeah, cool. No Diablo. No. They're stickers. They come off. Don't worry." But it, working in that orphanage, it was such a upside down look at Christian culture and culture in general. Um, there was no, I mean, rarely was there sound systems. Like we just yelled. Uh, we showed up and did worship with whatever guitar they could find. Sometimes we didn't have one, so we just did a cappella. Uh, all kinds of stuff. There, there wasn't air conditioning. The sh- there was no hot water. We took, a sh- we took showers at night in the dark with no hot water. And, you know, it, for us Americans, we're like, oh, this is terrible. They're just like, what? There's no bathrooms. We had to go to the bathroom out in the you know, woods. Um, it was a culture shock. But man, I can tell you, those people, especially the ones that worked with us, like at the orphanage, those were people of faith. You know, because there's no, there's no, they don't have a book deal. There's no book deal. There's no sermon series on YouTube from these people. You don't know their names. I don't remember their names. There's no private jet so they could get around from gig to gig. None of that. I highly suggest you go on at least one missions trip. You're welcome. Because it is such a recalibration of your brain. We are so conditioned to think that people of great faith are like the ones we see on TV. I'm not saying they're not, but that's not who I'm going to. That's not who I'm looking to, not anymore. Not after you see this. We need more of these people. We need, here's a controversial statement, ready? We need more normal Christians. We need more just straight up normal Christians. We need more good neighbors. We need more good employees. We need more Christians that just show up on time and do a good job. Because that to me speaks, and to the world speaks more volumes than your best life now book. We're good. We're good on celebrity pastors. I think we're good here. We got enough. Quota's full. Don't need that. We need more normal people. And that's sort of like a heresy thing to say, normal Christians, we're supposed to be levitate and do all this. No, 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 no. No. Be normal. Go talk to your neighbor and uh, be nice to them. Okay? Don't... Don't just invite them to church. Be like, yeah, we'll invite you to church. I won't sit with you. But the pastor, I'll let him do the job. No, that, that's not going to do it. Be normal. <laughs> do take away anything. Let's just be normal, good, faithful Christians. As this chapter closes, it reveals, even though these people were of great faith, they still did not receive what was promised. 
If you go to Hebrews 11, 39, 40, this is the last part. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, admittedly, this seems like sort of a bummer of an ending. They killed the giants. They, they, kill, they, they, they survived the lion's den. They suffer. They're persecuted. And yet, awesome guys, great faith. You still don't get it. Okay. Number three, or number three heroic faith relies on eternal perspective. God created and designed this universe, okay? This planet that we're on. But this planet is not our home. We're sort of just visiting. God created and designed our body. Amazing feat. What the human body can, can do and what it's, what it's created out of. But it's just a rental. This is not our final place. Our promise that verse 39 talks about is eternal life. And there's something better in verse 40 is that God provided for us his son, Jesus. This is what it means to have an eternal perspective. You might have some victories in life. That's awesome. It was God. You might have some valleys in life. It's not good. God's there. One is not greater than the other. One is not better than the other. Sometimes life is like that. We have ups and downs. Faith gets us through those if we have an eternal perspective. You know, this is not the end. This is not the promise. Here's what keeping an eternal perspective does for us. Number one, it lets us know that we're not the hero. Let's us know that we're not the hero. What can happen if you start to believe the hype, you start to believe you're the hero of the story, you will eventually stop relying on God. I'll tell you what, too. You can accomplish great things without God. There's a lot of people who have accomplished a lot of really great things without God. That's not the qualifier for what being a Christ follower is. It's just not. For us, if we start to believe that we're the hero of the story, we'll stop relying on God. And compared to God, when we're trying to play the hero, we sort of look like this guy. Show that. Show the Iron Man. That's what we look like <laughs> when we think we're the, we're the hero of the story. It's, it's cute. That guy, I feel, kind of feel bad for him now. He's going to see this and be like, what, dude, I worked on that costume for hours. That's what we look like to, when we try to take the credit from God and, and think that we're the hero. Number two, keeping an eternal perspective. It keeps us humble in the mountaintop and patient in the valleys. Humble in the mountaintop, patient in the valleys. Some of us, we are shedding the mouths of lions right now. We're killing it. We're just doing great at life. But some of us are getting chewed up by the lion right now. God is with both of you. So I want to close today. I'm not going to give you three points to write down questions. I'm not going to give you homework, anything like that. I just want to encourage you. 
If you are not slaying the giant right now, that's okay. Uh, if you're not shutting the mouths of lions, but they're actually biting you, that's okay. It does not make you a bad Christian if life is not, if you're not winning at life right now. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. If you're going through things, we all do at some point. This is not God forsaking you. This is not you not living up to being a hero of the faith. It's just God refining you maybe. I don't know. But God's faithful. I, I know that much. I don't know what the point of is everything. There's things that I'm not gonna know that happen in life. I'm not gonna know what the point is until I get to heaven. Sometimes having heroic faith is just hanging on to Jesus. That's it, just hanging on. Sometimes that's heroic faith. Love you guys. Uh, we're gonna have a closing song. Our prayer team's gonna be up here. And if you need prayer or you just wanna talk, they'll be up here for that. If you're online and you wanna pray with somebody, you have questions, let them know in the chat and there's people ready to help you. And uh, I love you guys. Let me pray for you real quick. Cool. God, we thank you for this time. I pray that... Uh...